uh, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. This is a very well-known passage. I'm sure it will be familiar to you. But uh, find Ephesians 5 in your Bible and then stand with me. Uh, Let's read it together and then we'll pray. Verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again that we can gather uh, in your name, that we can gather in freedom, that we can worship you. Uh, you are worthy of our praise and our worship this morning. And Lord, we uh, thank you that during this time of the year, we can be with friends and family members and that we can celebrate the birth of Christ. And we can think about uh, your salvation that you sent uh, into this world through your son and what you accomplished through him. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that. But, Lord, we also realize that uh, we live in a fallen world, and uh, the days are evil. And so, Lord, uh, we look around, we see uh, violence, we see things going on in our world, and much of it is alarming. We know ultimately it's a result of sin, and we know who is behind it, the enemy uh, of Christ. And, and Lord, we we pray this morning for uh, our law enforcement officers who who put their lives on the line, uh, many of them, on a daily basis to protect us. And, Lord, we we thank you for them. But, Lord, we pray for their safety and we pray for these that have been shot, that you would uh, just be with them. And, uh, Lord, we we pray that uh, you would make us mindful of the fact that uh, we we live in a fallen world that is filled with sin. And, and as a result of that, we need to be about your business. We need to be about those things that are eternal. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to uh, be very diligent in how we live our lives and that uh, we would make uh, the most of every opportunity. And so, Lord, as we think about a new year, that we can have the opportunity to serve you in a better way. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that and that we would make the commitment this morning before you that we'll uh, Redeem the time that we'll do whatever we can do to uh, invest in the things of eternity. So, Lord, we pray this morning as you uh, teach us from your word by your Holy Spirit that we might be open and receptive to all you have for us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we approach the beginning of another new year, we all know about New Year's resolutions. We usually begin the new year with a fresh determination to do this or that, but we often fail to follow through with our commitments. That does not mean, however, that we should not begin a new year with more clearly defined priorities. It is always a good thing to evaluate our lives and to see where we might need to change. And I want us to do exactly that this morning and to be honest about our priorities and to ask God to help us to make the changes we need to make sure we are conforming our lives to doing His will. Let me ask you to take your Bible once again and turn with me to Ephesians 5. 
And we're going to focus on those three verses, verses 15 through 17. I want you to take note of three main issues this morning. A maddening pace, a matter of priority, and a model of peace. That is our main outline. Let's begin with a maddening pace. The pace of our lives often prevents us from accomplishing those things that God desires for us. Far too many of us could summarize our lives in three words. Hurry, worry, and bury. Our lives are often an unending cycle of competing harder, running faster, and throwing ourselves into the proverbial rat race without looking back. We want everything to be fast and instantaneous. A few years ago, Citibank became the number one lender in America when it cut in half the number of days that it takes to be approved for a loan. Of course, now we know where it got them. But the point is, they understood the fact that our society is one that demands everything be fast and instantaneous. Denny's restaurant then followed suit and experienced a huge increase in business when it announced that it would serve lunch in 10 minutes or there would be no charge. Remember that? Denny's restaurant. Domino's became the number one pizza chain when they guaranteed delivery in 30 minutes or less. The CEO of Domino's said, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. Very soon after that, USA Today reported that Doctors Hospital in Detroit, taking a cue from Domino's, guaranteed emergency room treatment in 20 minutes or you didn't have to pay. Of course, it was interesting that their business increased by 30%, but the mortality rate increased by 120%. In 1967, expert testimony was given to a subcommittee of the U.S. Senate, which said that labor-saving, time-saving technology would change the way we work and live. They said, within 20 years, people will be working 32 weeks a year or would be working 22 hours a week and would retire by the time they reached 40. They said that the major challenge that we would face would be what to do with all that excess time that we would have on our hands. How wrong did they get that one? If anything, we are now putting in more time than people did in 1967. And stress has become a way of life for most of us. It has been estimated that between 40 and 60 percent of the people in our hospitals and doctors' offices today are there because of some kind of stress-related illness. As one author put it, if stress is a disease, then the Western world is in the midst of an epidemic. 
The whole point here is that our world is still one that operates at a very maddening pace. And we often get stressed out over all the things that we have to do. Do you ever have difficulty getting everything done that you need to get done? Have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? I guess all of us have at times. But the truth of the matter is, the problem is not time, but the way we use our time. And this brings us to a matter of priorities In a complex world like ours, we had better have our priorities in order or we will end up falling short of our potential. True wisdom consists of refusing to allow the urgent to drown out the importance, of refusing to allow the immediate to crowd out the eternal And the complexity of our world forces us to be constantly choosing. And if we are wise, we are going to be choosing the best over the good. Each and every day, there are many opportunities. But we also must be constantly discerning the highest priorities. And when we stop to evaluate, we have to acknowledge that The problem is not a shortage of time because everyone has the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours each day. Our problem is when we fail to have the best priorities. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 gives us some wonderful guidance when it comes to the issue of priorities. Look at it again with me. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, that's how the New American Standard reads, but I also want to read it in the New King James Version. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the reason I wanted to read it in the King James is because I like that word circumspectly. It means diligently, exactly, precisely, or accurately. And we need to see three things that God's Word tells us here about walking circumspectly. First of all, the imperative of walking circumspectly. Look again at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise The word, therefore, in this case means see to it or make sure that. Paul is saying, make sure that you're walking with precision and exactness. He says this is a mark of wisdom. Those who are wise are going to live 
this way. Now, Paul is really using some marketing terms here. The word circumspectly is the opposite of what we would call today impulse buying. Now, we've all heard of impulse shoppers. Don't punch your spouse. But that's why they put all those impulse items right up next to the checkout counter, right? Because you have to stand there and wait to check out, and you're looking at all this stuff, and and you go, oh, I need one of these. Or maybe two or three, and you pull them off of there. But what I want you to see this morning is that we can also be impulsive and careless in regard to the use of our time. You see, the truth of the matter is, You and I, if we do not carefully plan our time, someone else or something else will. We will end up impulse buying in regard to our time. We must have a plan and we must have priorities. Now, hard work certainly doesn't hurt any of us. And we all know the feeling of being weary after a good, productive day. I like to call this the good kind of tired. That's when you have worked hard and you have accomplished the right things, the priority things. But failure and a lack of wisdom comes when we spend our time on less important things. The issue is not in how many things did you get done. The issue is, what did you accomplish that has eternal value? And unfortunately, the creed for American Christians all too often is, we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. This is one of the greatest challenges in the Christian life. It is a constant battle between the tyranny of the urgent and the most important priorities. Now, the seriousness of walking circumspectly calls for three things. First of all, it calls for understanding our reason. That is, our reason for living. Walking in wisdom requires a singular focus for our lives. If we don't have that singular focus, we will end up with a sense of no direction, a loss of direction for our lives. I read several years ago about a popular toy store chain that was giving away a shopping spree to three children. And these children were selected, and on a given day, they were allowed to uh, take a shopping cart and and go in the toy store, and they could just go up and down the aisles, and just anything they could put in the cart, they could have. And so when it was time, a, a horn blew, and the children took off. And the first two just went nuts. I mean, they just ran up and down, and they were just pulling things into the shopping cart. And next thing you know, they had this big shopping cart just piled high with toys. But they had no idea what kind of toys were in there. 
The third child did her research. She looked, uh, she looked at the layout for all these toy stores that were the same, and so she knew exactly where the toys were that she really wanted. And so when the horn blew, she calmly went down to aisle three, about a ha- halfway down on the lower shelf, and she selected a cho- toy that she really wanted. And then she calmly went over to aisle six, about a third of the way down. And on the top shelf, she took another toy that she wanted. And when the time was up, the other kids had all kinds of stuff they really didn't want or need. But this young lady had the things that she really wanted, the priority things. Have you ever seen a movie about someone who gets lost in a jungle? I mean, what happens? A sense of panic and disorientation sets in. The person begins to run erratically, falling down, getting back up, running in circles. You've seen this. In the jungle, we call that hysteria. In the city, we call it ambition. You see, our frantic world suffers from a sense of inner lostness and a lack of inner purpose, just like that person in the jungle. And people go through life grabbing at anything they can find to fill the void of emptiness in their heart and soul. In fact, the English language has a word To describe people like that. People whose lives are not balanced and oriented around a fixed center, we call them eccentrics. A lack of stable center leads them to erratic, pointless behavior. But you see, Christianity gives us that ultimate center around which we can build our lives. The Bible says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. It says, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. We have a purpose in which to center our lives. You see, folks, if faith in Christ and service for Christ is merely one more addition to your hurried, cluttered life, then it will only increase your stress. But if that faith stands as the center of your life, then it will serve to provide the integrating point around which all else can take its place in harmony The author of Hebrews says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. It is that which will give us the center around which all our other priorities will emanate. And that's when we'll be walking in wisdom. But there's something else here. Not only does The seriousness of walking circumspectly call for understanding our reason for living. living. But secondly, 
It calls for understanding our restrictions. Our restrictions. Regardless of our birthplace, occupation, age, social standing, wealth, or religious background, all of us have one thing in common. We all have 24 hours every day. None of us can credit any of today's hours to tomorrow as much as we might like to. No matter how much we may wish for it, we know there will never be any more than 24 hours in a day. Not only that, but we get only one opportunity for each minute that we have. Once it is passed, it is gone forever. You see, time is significant because it is completely irretrievable. Once a unit of time has passed, it can never be recaptured or relived. Once the clock starts, it never stops until your life has ended. Tom Elleth tells about a time when he was out mowing the lawn out in the hot Oklahoma summer day. And he came into the house and he was just absolutely parched. And he said he he just couldn't find water fast enough. And he ran into the kitchen and there sitting on the kitchen counter was a glass of water. And, And so he just reached out and grabbed it and he started drinking. But he discovered too late it was not water. His mother had been cooking and she had taken the yolks of some eggs out and she had put the egg whites in a glass and sat it on the counter. And Tom made this comment. He said, once you start drinking egg whites, you can't stop. Now, I suppose that's true. I've never tried it. But the, the point is, once the clock starts, it never stops. It doesn't stop. Listen, my friend, the moment you were conceived, the clock started ticking. And you can't call a time out once the clock is running. You know, when I was a child, time seemed to go so slowly. I mean, it seemed like Christmas would never get here. It seemed like school would never end. And the only thing that came too fast was bedtime, right? But now that I'm older, it seems that time just flies by. In fact, the Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor that appears for a moment and then is gone. In comparison to eternity, that is exactly what it is. Wisdom has the understanding that life is short. That we must capitalize on every opportunity we have to make an eternal impact. We should do as the psalmist who cried out to the Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The psalmist was really saying the same thing the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text. We need to be wise enough to realize the limitations of our days on earth and to maximize every one of those opportunities for the purposes of God. But there's a third aspect 
that the seriousness of walking circumspectly calls for, and that is understanding our responsibility. The Bible tells us that we as Christians are stewards of God's household. We are just as responsible for the use of our time and our talents as we are for our financial resources. And we often talk about the fact that the tithe belongs to the Lord, but so does our time and our talent and all that we have to offer. And sometimes offering our time to God is a greater sacrifice than than offering our money. I mean, some people think they can just come in here and throw a few bucks in the offering plate and they've done their spiritual duty. But God desires for us to be faithful as stewards in regard to our time and every other resource that we have available. That leads us to another important truth that we see in verse 16, and that is the importance of walking circumspectly. Look at verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This means we are to waste no time in doing God's work. There should be a sense of urgency about the things of God. We're not to take this lightly at all. Now, the King James has it this way, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So let's consider three important questions related to redeeming our time. First of all, what does it mean to redeem time? Now, we usually think of the word redeem in the terms of buying something back. And there is a sense in which this word means to rescue from loss. In other words, to improve on an opportunity. But what this word really means is to cash something in. To cash something in. Paul is saying that every moment we live, we are cashing our time in for something. How many of you here this morning are old enough to remember green stamps? Remember green stamps? I see some hands out there. For those of you who are younger than this, um, you may not know what those are. It used to be you go to the grocery store and, and then not only would you get a receipt, but you get some green stamps when you check out. And you have these little books and, you know, I remember sitting at home looking at these green stamps and stick them in the books. And you remember those green stamp redemption centers? I mean, there were stores. Take your green stamps after you have these books filled up, and you could go to these stores and you could cash them in for something that you wanted. And and so this is the idea here. This is what we do with our time. Our time is like green stamps. We can cash it in for something. Every single day, we're cashing in our time for something. We're either trading our time for that which is Temporal and will soon go up in smoke, or we're trading it in for that which is eternal and will never suffer decay. So we must ask ourselves the critical question, what are we redeeming our time for? The second question is, why is redeeming the time so 
urgent. Why is it so urgent? The answer is, it is so urgent because once those opportunities pass, they can never, ever be redeemed again. One day, the time for coming to Christ will be gone. One day, the time for bringing people to Christ will be over. One day, the time for nurturing a godly family will be over. A sign in front of a garden center read, The best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. But the second best time is today. The only opportunity we get is the opportunity we have today. The one we had yesterday is gone. Tomorrow's opportunity is not guaranteed. The only one we have is today. Listen, do we understand that the urgency of redeeming our time means that we will do everything possible to be sure we have eternal priorities? One more question. Why do we need to redeem the time? Because the days are evil. Would you agree with me today the days are evil? They're getting more evil all the time. They were evil when Paul wrote this. But they're still evil today because the God of this world, the devil, is in control of the world system. And if we fail to circumspectly redeem the time according to the will of God, Satan will make sure we squander it on the things of the flesh. In fact, that's what the world system is all about. The days are evil and getting more and more evil all the time. And the more evil things become, the more urgent the need for us to redeem our time for the glory of God. And that leads us to the key to walking in wisdom in these evil days, which is the inducement of walking circumspectly. The inducement. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17. So then, do not be foolish. That's the same thing as being unwise in verse 15. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If redeeming the time means cashing it in, and we understand time as a trust, then we have to know what God wants us to cash it in for, right? You know, if I have my books of green stamps, and I'm going down to the green stamp redemption store, and uh, I'm getting ready to go in there, but these aren't really my green stamp books. These are Julie's green stamp books. She did the shopping. She got the green stamps. She licked them all, stuck them in the books. She got them all ready to go. And, but she sends me to go to the redemption center to get something. Listen, if those are Julie's green stamp books, I had better not come back with golf clubs. I'd better not come back with a rod and reel. I'd better come back with something she wants, right? And listen, we are stewards of the household of God. 
So we'd better know what God wants. What does God want us to cash our time in for? What does God want us to do with our time? And the answer is that God wants us to have an understanding of His will so that we will know how to use our time to accomplish His purposes. And we really went through this when we did our series on God's will. The will of God is not something mystical or subjective. It is having an understanding of the mind of God by having become fully immersed in the Word of God. Now, certainly this does include having a vital prayer life and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. But it does not mean that we're trying to read circumstances or putting ourselves into some kind of spiritual neutral and waiting for God to move us around in some way. You see, most Christians get too caught up in where to walk, but God is much more concerned with how we walk. And many of us are more consumed with whether God would want us to live in Denver or Chicago, but God is much more concerned about how we live wherever we are. And most of us would really like for God to audibly speak His will to us down to the very last detail. I mean, I think most of us would love to go home today and find a message from God telling us exactly what He has planned for our lives. Or at least we think we would like to know that. But listen, that's not how it works. God has already revealed His will to us in His Word. And it is never God's will for us to do something that is in violation of His revealed will in Scripture. I mean, I've had people tell me they believe it's God's will for them to do something that is clearly condemned in Scripture. God told me it's okay to marry this guy even though he's not a Christian. No, He didn't. God didn't tell you that. The Bible clearly says we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God told me it was okay to divorce my husband because he doesn't treat me the way I want to be treated. No, he didn't tell you that. That's a lie. The Bible clearly says God hates divorce. Well, God told me it's okay for us to live together even though we're not married. No, God did not say that. God's Word clearly says that fornication is sin. There's no question about that. My friend, mark it down. Don't come to me and tell me that God told you something when the Bible clearly says otherwise. That is not God's will. God's will is revealed to us in Scripture. Well, we could spend a whole lot more time on that. But let's conclude this morning with a model of peace. Is there any escape from the frantic pattern of living? Can we really have eternal priorities? 
What model can we follow? Folks, our model is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. On the night before he died, Jesus made a very astonishing claim. In the great prayer of John 17, he said this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, wait a minute. How could Jesus say that he had finished the work that God the Father had given him to do? His three-year ministry seemed all too short. A prostitute at Simon's banquet had found forgiveness and a new life, but many others still walked the street without being transformed by Christ. For every ten withered muscles that had flexed into health, a hundred others remained impotent. And yet, on that last night, with many useful tasks undone and urgent human needs unmet, the Lord had peace knowing that He had finished God's work. Now, the gospel records show that Jesus worked very hard. He moved through the crowds, He healed, He taught, He challenged people, He encouraged, etc. We see Him exhausted at the end of very long days, which began before the sun rose and many times went way into the night. He worked hard, and yet his life was never feverish. He had time for people. He could spend hours talking to one person, such as the woman at the well. He was never perplexed or frantic. He still made time to intensively train his closest followers. The key was his eternal priorities. Now, the death of Lazarus illustrates this well. What could have been more important than the urgent request for Mary and Martha, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And the word for ill there means deathly ill. He's about to die. And yet, John records the Lord's response in these puzzling words. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When, therefore, he heard that he was sick, that is, he was dying, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Is that the kind of response that we would expect from someone who truly loved the person who was dying? What was the urgent need? Well, of course, the urgent need was to prevent the death of this beloved brother. But the important thing from God's point of view was to raise Lazarus from the dead because that would verify Jesus' claim I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's the tyranny of the urgent, and there's God's higher priority. Jesus did not do everything 
he could possibly have done. But he did accomplish all that the Father sent him to do. And he accomplished the greatest thing, which was to atone for our sins and to win our salvation. And just as it is with our model, we don't have to try to do everything, but we should seek to do the most important things. We do need to be fervently pursuing God's will. So the question is, what will we do with 2018? What will our priorities be? Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to have eternal priorities, just as our Lord, that we would emulate him. Lord, that uh, we might be wise, especially as we look around and we see the evil of our days, that we would be redeeming the time, that we would not fall into Satan's trap and to be caught up with investing our time and efforts and energy into the temporal things of the flesh, but that we'll be investing in the things of eternity, the things that count. Lord, help us to have your priorities going into this new year. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.